This episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast is sponsored by CoinZoom. Stick around to learn more about them later in this episode. You're registered to vote. If you're an American citizen, odds are you're being bombarded with messages on radio, TV, website, social media, email, and snail mail reminding you to vote as if your life depended on it. That's not a bad thing as we need more citizens participating in the process. But it's not a stretch to say things have gotten a little crazy as Election Day 2020 approaches. Today, we welcome Brittany Kaiser to the show to discuss all things electoral and why we need blockchain to intervene. The primary subject of the Netflix original documentary, The Great Hack, Brittany's got no problem blowing whistles and making waves. And since we took Thursday off, we'll cover a few news items that have risen to the surface, including John McAfee being arrested in Spain. It's super interesting stuff for super interesting times. If you're super interested, vote Travis and Joel for president and vice president and join us for episode number 451 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And welcome, friends in America and elsewhere in the world. This is the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Com. That's Travis Wright. And I'm not sure which one of us is running for president and which one's the V. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is actually episode 451. So I'm reminded of Fahrenheit 451, that dystopian novel by uh, Ray Bradbury. Back Did they the burn books? Yeah, it was an alia. That's what it was all about. It was uh, the future American society where books are outlawed and firemen burn any that are found anywhere so it's kind of like social media and how they censor shit now i think let, let if we run let's not you know be president and vice president let's co-president because we okay. co-host okay okay that sounds good you know like for like six months a year or so or like you're just like every other day I don't know, every other minute okay <laughs> <laughs> you take this call, we'll take this call together. Okay, that's Pass the veto. <laughs> well, before we get going, we want to give a shout out to our new sponsor for this show, CoinZoom. They're a U.S.-based, regulated, institutional-grade digital currency trading platform striving to bridge the gap between legacy financial exchanges, futures, stocks, and banking to make digital assets available to traders across the globe. Buy, sell, trade crypto easily on the CoinZoom exchange and spend it seamlessly with the CoinZoom Visa debit card. Visit badco.in forward slash CoinZoom to register and get $10 in free crypto. It's easy. Welcome to the show, CoinZoom. We're glad to have you. And Travis, we have a great show ahead. Uh, you know, you and I have both been on vacation. I have uh, returned as of today. You are still on the road. And, and where does today find you? I am right outside of the Grand Canyon today, and tomorrow my son and I are going to take a helicopter ride all throughout the Grand Canyon. Apparently, this is one of the most, it's a it's like five stars plus, this of this thing, like the reviews are off the charts, and it's like, man, if you go to, if you go to Grand Canyon, you got to do a helicopter ride. I had like three people telling me, dude, you go to, you go to Grand Canyon, man, you got to get a helicopter ride, dude, you got to do it. I was like, all right. So my son graduated from high school. And uh, he also helped us write on uh, uh, Blockchain Heroes. <clears throat> and his birthday is in a week. 
And so we are doing a fun trip, man. We've gone all we've gone to six states. We've gone to uh, I don't know five, six different national parks across America. And um, I would say this, man. I would say a lot of people don't travel in America. There, there's mm-hmm. so many people who do not have a passport, and you don't need a passport to go travel around to these national parks across America. And I tell you what, if you're a city dweller who hates America. There's no way you can hate America after you drive around and see the most majestic beauty that you've ever seen out in nature, and it's unbelievable, and I think everybody needs to get off their travel around America to see it, And because we are in a very beautiful, amazing place, Mr. Joe Comp. Indeed, we are. I just came from Colorado Springs and uh, was at a resort at the Garden of the Gods. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But first, let's get to our interview with Ms. Brittany Kaiser. Some would say she's an avenger of data. We just like to call her Brittany and even her last name as well, Kaiser, the founder of the Own Your Data movement. And now, uh, I think, key strategist for Brock Pierce's run for the presidency. Is that right, Brittany? Correct. I I am Brock's campaign manager, actually. The campaign manager, the CM. Look at you. You're Brock in the vote. Absolutely. All day long. (laughs) Well, we have a lot to talk about then. Um, Brock was just on the show uh, recently episode that aired on uh, Sunday, the 27th of Absolutely. September. I'm not sure what date we're airing this, but he was on with uh, Tim Draper. And yes, uh, we had a lengthy, have you had a chance to, to hear the show? Yeah, I, I didn't get to finish it yet, but I watched the first half and it was fabulous. Uh, Tim and Brock uh, were both here uh, last week in Wyoming in Laramie for the Wyo Hackathon. So we got to have a, a reunion. <laughs> well, you missed the, you missed the best part. We had a cliffhanger at the end. Oh yeah. No, not really. I'm just teasing <laughs> because you, you didn't hear it. Well, uh, yeah, I was so so glad to see that. Um, yeah, thank you guys for hosting that. So, so first question: What made you um, hop on the the Brock train to be his campaign manager? Well, uh, for my entire political career, which has been most of my life. I started in politics when I was 14. Uh, I have had, uh, you know, quite questionable and unpleasant experiences working for both the Democrats and the Republicans. I've always been more of an independent minded person. Both of my parents are independents actually, and were really confused at how uh, they birthed a flaming liberal. Uh, And then we're, we're, we're less confused actually when I started working for the Republicans at Cambridge Analytica because uh, both sides of my family are Republican. And and now I've uh, finally landed where I belong. I think over the past few years, I've become a lot more uh, libertarian and independent in my political views and was, you know, terribly disappointed at out of the 30 some odd candidates that the Democrats had running in the primaries that we ended up with, I suppose, my, my former boss, Joe Biden, because I worked for Barack Obama for a long time. And so, um, you know, Biden was our vice presidential candidate um, when I was on the campaign in 07, 08. And, you know, he was a great man to work with at that time, you know, 13 years ago. Did, did, he, did he sniff you? I have to know. <laughs> not, not that I remember. Uh, I mean, he, he comes from behind, so you can't <laughs> always tell, you know. 
Well, uh, yeah, Barack and, and Joe used to come to the office and would uh, walk over to every single person in the office and say, hey, you know, what is, what are you doing? What, what, what are you guys doing for us? Show me what you're up to. And, you know, I got to show Barack the, the day that I first made him his Facebook page. He goes, oh, look at me. That's my face. <laughs> I'm great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, through the ups and downs of working with um, the, the two major parties, I, I've just been sorely disappointed at the bureaucracy, at the lack of kind of uh, open doors for young activists, at the lack of you know, allowing, allowing candidates to speak their own mind and making them pre-prescribed to a, a certain platform. And so when Brock told me he wanted to run, which was only in May of this year, he said, I know it's late. I know that you know, even if we started now, we don't have uh, a huge opportunity to win this year, but you know, this is something that I've been thinking about my whole life and so many people have asked me to do this that I feel like it's the right time. And, you know, we, we've been left with uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden as, as our choices, you know, nearly 80 year old white men who neither one of them speak in full sentences. Uh, so, you know, what are we going to do with the amount of Americans and people around the world who are now currently totally turned off by politics? Now, I've been working in politics my whole life in order to inspire people to actually get hands-on with government decision-making. You have to be hands-on in order to be a part of governance. You have, it's not just voting, but I suggest that everyone that actually wants to change things run for an office that they feel that they are qualified to do. And this year, I feel like most people who have never engaged in the political process before definitely don't want to start now. And that's a, that's a huge problem for me. So when Brock said that he wanted to do this, it took me about a half a second to say, yes, I will help you in any way that you want me to, because honestly, you, are, you will be the best choice that anyone has this year, number one. Number two, which I suppose is, is something that I learned at Cambridge Analytica, you know, Brock has the ability to be president of the United States. After flying around for so many years around the world, seeing and meeting with people who were president and prime minister, are president and prime minister, who want to be. Uh, my, my former CEO, Alexander Nix, used to say, you can tell within 30 seconds whether someone has it or not. And Brock has it. And that's, that's the reality. I didn't even get behind Andrew Yang, even though he was the first person to put uh, you know, data, uh, data as a property right in his presidential platform which yes, I was so excited about that, but I don't actually think Andrew Yang will ever be president. He'll be a great CTO of America, but I'm not going to get behind someone that I don't think can actually become president. All right, so you know what? I actually, I just, I just read an article that you had posted like less than an hour ago on Voice about elections and data. Now, I've worked in, I've worked in technology and I've worked with some of these big data providers for a long time, like Axiom and Epsilon and some of these other companies out there and they have just a ton of data around uh, I, I think you said somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 different data points on every American or something or every American over the age of 18. Like that's, a, that's a lot of data that they've accumulated and, and you're saying this is a trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar data trade. How does this data get traded from campaign to campaign without our you know sort of approval on this? 
because in the United States, uh, we do not have uh, federal or national data protection laws uh, that make sure that that's, this doesn't happen. We are pre-opted in in American law for our data to be collected from us. So all of these big data vendors are getting our data from our banks, our uh, credit card companies, our grocery stores, uh, big uh, media houses that sell our data on their subscriptions. All of these ways of gathering our data end up being you know, a, a, a very big business. Most of these big data companies are, are worth billions of dollars and they have accumulated data of everyone above the age of 18. And that data is everything from our you know, purchasing history and our lifestyle data, as well as some of these companies are political data. So our voting history, not who we voted for, obviously that's meant to be uh, sealed and anonymous, but uh, when we voted in which elections, right? And in which party we were, or we voted as a part of, if we were registered to a party, that's part of our political data set in most states as well. So all of this data is collected and then uh, political campaigns can purchase and license that data. Some of the data that they get, however, is given to them for free if they're working for, um, if they're working for the Democrat or the Republican party. So Republicans and Democrats have these massive databases that come from the DNC and RNC. Uh, and those, those are kind of the historical data sets of everyone that's ever registered to be a Democrat or Republican and how they voted um, throughout the elections, right? Um, not who they voted for, but if they voted absentee, early ballot, uh, at the voting box, in which elections. And that helps data scientists figure out uh, data models, which are predictions of your behavior so how likely you are to vote in which elections, who you are likely to vote for, which is called candidate preference, what issues are most important to you. Some big data vendors already have these models that you can, that you can purchase so you don't even have to build them yourself. Mm. Uh, at Cambridge, we had hundreds of different models uh, that you could buy. Some companies have thousands of different models that you can buy. Um, you know, how likely you are to donate, um, how likely you are to change the brand of toothpaste you're using. I mean, if you have enough data, you can predict anything about someone. So it seems like now they're, they're using all that data. You know, there's been a big documentary that just came out, The Social Dilemma, that talks about that. So a lot of these, a lot of these big tech companies are using AI, plugging in all this data, making assumptions about you, and then filtering all of your content based on what they think they know about you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and to be fair, it's not what they think they know about you. I mean, this is what they know about you. P political right. campaigns and, and companies, big companies and big brands that do a lot of advertising know more about you than you know about yourself. They have a better ability to predict what you are going to be interested in, how you are going to behave, how to engage with you than, than you do. I wouldn't be able to say, you need to send me a message on this platform at this time um, in this way in order to make me click on it. But these companies know that that's exactly what they need to do in order to get my attention. Well, they, they're more focused on what our triggers are, right? We just kind of go through our day and we don't really think about what's triggering us. Um, but they know exactly what to feed us. So how accurate was that documentary on Netflix? I mean, that, that was as accurate as you're going to get. In The Great Hack, we were 
we were showing people what the problem is and trying to illustrate it for the first time, kind of in a matrix type of way of how your data is siphoned off of you and, and what modeling and, and being put into a micro-targeting audience group looks like. And then the social dilemma takes it to the next step where it actually shows and explains all of the ways that uh, the backend data modeling affects you in, in practice. We had, in the social dilemma, it's all of the top people from the industry, people who left the industry over ethical concerns, people who have become whistleblowers, uh, people who have gone off and built more ethical technology companies because they couldn't stand the big tech companies that they were working for, what, what those companies were actually allowing to be done to customers, citizens, users, whatever you want to call us. Uh, and, and so they gave a very accurate representation of the range of issues that our society now faces based on our reliance on big social. Mm. Well, let me ask you this then. So, so, this, so, so Cambridge Analytica pulls all this data from Axiom and, and Epsilon and all these other places. And then the Democrats have RGP van, uh, which is their data arm. And then the RNC has RNC data trust, which is their data arm. And then so, so then the Trump campaign last in 2016 or whatever went to Cambridge Analytica. And so what exactly did they do that was wrong or unethical in the process? Did, did they do the great hack? So did they just use Cambridge Analytica's data? Did they pull new data or what exactly went awry? So <laughs> there, there are quite a few things that, that went awry, but um, what it seems as of now is that uh, the Trump campaign not only used Cambridge Analytica's data and, and the RNC data, uh, which is it's fine to use people's data for political communications. What is the problem is when you actually break federal election commission laws or you break other types of laws that we already have while you're running digital campaigns and then you can't be held accountable for it because Facebook won't show us who was targeted with what when. So, um, you know, this is something I've been talking about in the news a lot over the past, you know, 48 hours specifically, which is, you know, what is the difference between negative campaigning and voter suppression? And right now the Trump campaign is being accused of, and there is plenty of evidence both from myself as well as plenty of other people that voter suppression uh, campaigns did actually take place. The difference is that negative campaigning is meant to get swing voters or persuadable voters to vote for your candidate. So if the Trump campaign does negative campaigning about Hillary Clinton, which they did plenty of, to persuadable people, then, you are, um, then you're just convincing them to try to convince them to vote for Donald Trump. If you are targeting people who are hardcore Hillary Clinton supporters and their data shows that they would never ever vote for Donald Trump in their lives, but possibly they wouldn't vote at all, those are people that were uh, tagged as deterrence or deterrence to deter them from going to the polls at all mm. and those were the types of people that received some of um the most heinous ads and that was to get them to disengage from the political process altogether do you think hillary's going to get any votes this year <laughs> uh, i bet you some people will write her <laughs> maybe maybe a few write-ins i mean uh, so people, you know people write in the craziest stuff Right. I mean, they might write in the bad crypto podcast for president. You know, if you don't know who else you're going to vote for, feel free to just you know, write in Sooth and Sayer. I mean, if, if I wasn't voting for, for Brock Pierce, then, uh, you know, I'd consider voting for you guys. Well, appreciate that. So I want to ask another question about social, Brittany. You know, with 
legitimate fears out there. You know, people are, are scared after seeing this and understanding a bit more about what's actually taking place. Do you think that we're going to reach a tipping point that mainstream social media is going to collapse in on upon itself, like, you know, a supernova like what, or a black hole or whatever, whatever uh, celestial thing would collapse in on itself? Is that gonna happen is is facebook gonna wake up one morning and go what the hell just happened i wish that uh at least mark zuckerberg and cheryl sandberg would roll out of bed one morning and, and say hey what happened let's try to fix it but it seems like that's never going to happen because with the wave of momentum we've had over the past few years it, they still haven't woken up uh so i'm not relying on big social to collapse. I'm not relying on their executives to all of a sudden become conscious members of society because they've proven that that's not likely uh, to happen. Instead, I'm you know working with uh, amazing ethical technologists like the people at voice.com um, so that we can show people a better way that social can actually be ethical, uh, which is you know something that I do see massive opening for social media companies where social has become more of a daily utility in everybody's life for interpersonal communication as well as external communications and ad campaigns. I really think that there's a huge opportunity for ethical technologists to start pushing platforms where you have no fake accounts. Um, you know, for instance, voice does KYC AML like a bank so that you don't have to deal with trolls and bot farms attacking you for everything that you post. Uh, it, you know, other important things, data ownership, my favorite conversation where you actually own the data that you create in the platform and it is not being collected and traded and bought and sold without your knowledge um, or at all, uh, where you are compensated for the data that you create in the platform. So you are paid for your content um, instead of the company itself extracting all of the value from you as if you know your oil in the ground right um, i think the data industry has begun begun to look a lot like the fossil fuels industry especially you know back in the day when when uh people would show up on for instance indigenous land and just start you know drilling for oil without giving any of that value back to the locals uh who own that land uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. All of our value is being extracted from us without our consent and none of that value is being returned. Hmm. So uh, I think we'll look back on this period of time in disdain and, uh, you know, it'll just be a, a, a dark period of time, kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, we call it the fourth industrial revolution because it is very similar to the industrial revolution where, you know, tons of, uh, development and innovation happened so quickly that um, people were not thinking about the consequences of, of what they did. And we're still paying for the original industrial revolution um, you know, with consequences to the environment. I think for a very long time to come, we are going to be paying for the repercussions of the fourth industrial revolution, especially the rise of big social. Yeah. You know, it actually kind of reminds me as you were describing that, it's like, kind of like the matrix and how humans were batteries. It's kind of like, it's kind of a metaphor that still kind of works. It's like they're draining us for our data and uh, using that to fuel their campaigns. I want to ask this because, you know, it, it seems like today the news is so very partisan or very biased. It's, it's not, uh, they don't work together very well. Because for example, in 2012, 
Obama harvested Facebook data on millions of users to win in 2012, and yep. everybody cheered. That was the best thing ever. I mean, there was right. a <laughs> app out there and everything, right. and they had access to 190 million Facebook users, and they were able to siphon all that data out, who your friends were and all this other stuff. Trump did it, and then it was the worst thing ever. So I want to know, like, what, what, what was the difference between what they did? Uh, there wasn't a difference on, on the technical back end of what they did. They accessed the Facebook Friends API. And that Friends API was Facebook uh, finding a way to monetize their platform or monetize their users, shall we say. And uh, over 40,000 companies from around the world signed up for this developer program and paid Facebook in order to take all of our data. So whether you were using a Cambridge Analytica app, like this is your digital life, or you were playing Candy Crush or Farmville, the developers of those, uh, of those games not only were able to get access to your data, because you consented to use the application, but they would get access to the data of everybody else in your network, your mom, your grandmother, your children, whatever it happens to be. And so all of, all of those Facebook data network graphs were removed from Facebook along with all the um, personal information out of Facebook. And then quite a few different developers started selling that data on the open market. So there became a Facebook data trade, which um, was not presented as illicit. Uh, so when most people bought or sold Facebook data, I don't think anyone really thought they were doing anything wrong. It was only when Facebook started getting grilled in the press that they started to say, hey, we knew nothing about that. Okay, well, you know, Whoops. really? <laughs> we don't believe you. Of course you knew. You enabled it on the, on the technical back end. You enabled it to happen. Yeah, so, so this is stuff that's all really interesting. And now here we are in 2020, uh, you know, less than 40 days away from an election. Looks like we're about 35 days or so at this time, timestamp. And uh, I've been seeing a lot of news popping up around you know, different vote harvesting plans that have popped up, like up in Minnesota, there was a whole bunch of votes found uh, in, uh, in Houston, Texas, maybe 700,000 votes that were found yesterday. And then there was some stuff going on in, in Philadelphia where they're suppressing or not allowing like RNC people to, to monitor the polls uh, and Democrats are in there. And so there's no way to, 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 to monitor fraud. Like how do we, how do we secure an election in America today when things are going to be mailed in? And then some people who are political activists are going to throw stuff away and then harvest votes and just distribute ones that maybe they want to have in. And there was some pay to play, pay for votes. Like somebody spent $200 for a ballot. This, this project Veritas just came out yesterday and the day before with a whole bunch of video evidence of, of, of fraud going on. So how do we ensure a fair and impartial election in America today when all this craziness is going on? I've got two words for you and I hope you're going to like them. Blockchain voting. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, right now, say, you know, we're assuming blockchain really is one word. Is it blockchain? Blockchain voting. voting. Blockchain. So yeah, that's two words. It's okay. <laughs> you know, if you want to separate the block and the chain, then I've got three words for you, blockchain voting. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, really, I really think that this election is hopefully going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is going to be the biggest disaster that we've ever seen in terms of, uh, you know, voting accountability. 
Uh, getting actual votes to people in time, getting them filled out correctly, getting them turned in on time. Uh, th this is, it's going to be a salient example of why we actually have to use technology in order to vote. That this whole paper system is, I, I mean, I have no idea why in 2020 we are relying on paper ballots to choose all of our elected officials. What is going on? Well, what do you, but don't you think why do you think that is? I mean, don't you think there are some forces that are opposed to accurate voting? I'm not saying which side yeah. it could could be both, but both. I mean, yeah. I, both sides, both sides seem to find different ways to make it okay that we are stuck in 1950 in our in the way that we vote. I mean, it's completely insane that we're still using paper. Uh, you know. This year, we're going to see, for the first time ever, most people are using absentee ballots. Most people, even if they've voted in every election their entire lives, have never used an absentee ballot. Um, there's examples right now where in New York, there's a few boroughs that everybody received the ballot with the wrong name on it. So they didn't receive their ballot, so they can't fill it out because it's not a vote under their name. And now they either have to go to the ballot box or they have to hope that another absentee ballot is going to come in their name to the right address at the right time. Uh, like, what? Uh, also, most uh, absentee ballots that get thrown away get thrown away because people did not fill them out correctly. You know, you fill in outside of the bubble, you forget to sign on the wrong dotted line, whatever it happens to be, loads of them are thrown away every single year. Absentee ballots um, are, are traditionally not all counted because people turn them in too late or fill them out incorrectly. But you so, have to request an absentee ballot, right? I yeah. mean, there, there's a lot of people, they don't understand even the basic difference. They go, oh, you know, you know, mail and ballots are fine. Yeah, if you request one, but what they're talking about doing is just sending ballots to every address, mm -hmm. you know? And if that is not, I mean, I'm sorry, there's not even a debate here. It's not even up for debate. If that is not ripe for fraud, then I've got some beachfront property for you in Oklahoma. Uh, Absolutely. Because... I completely agree with you. I mean, and look at all these people in New York. People in New York can start filling out uh, ballots on behalf of their neighbor and turning them in if they so choose to do that because of this massive mistake with the mail. Uh, so I think this November 3rd, and for the many painful days and weeks uh, that follow it, hopefully not months, but at least weeks, probably, um, in, in different states for different specific contested elections, we're going to see the most salient example of why we need to move to technology. And I, I don't think it's only people um, in the government or from the Republican and Democrat parties that are, uh, you know, trying to keep our, our elections um, in the dark ages. I think one of the main problems is that most of the people running these programs and these systems do not understand technology. So they think if we start using technology to vote, that all of a sudden our votes are more vulnerable. They don't understand what encryption is. They don't understand cybersecurity. They don't understand what a blockchain is. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, they definitely don't understand the concept of digital identity. So how are they going to feel comfortable saying that we can move from paper to digital voting, let alone blockchain voting. Um, you know, we've had five successful, I mean, 
a range of success, but in general, they happened and they worked. Five different case studies uh, for different states that for their absentee voters, especially um, active duty military and veterans overseas, um, that they have been able uh, blockchain voting. And, um, you know, to, to talk about um, my candidate, Mr. Brock Pierce, he just came to Wyoming last week and sponsored the Wyoming Hackathon uh, for one Bitcoin prize to the team that creates the best voting solution. And we have a full intention for the team that wins that prize to help them create that into a company and start uh, and bring Wyoming into being the next state that trials blockchain voting. Um, additionally, um, we have helped uh, co-found the first ever um, independent national convention, the INC, because the DNC and RNCs were pretty boring this year from everything that I <laughs> gathered. Uh, so all, all of us independents um, are creating our own convention. And what we're doing is putting together a platform uh, called the INU, the Independent National Union, uh, which will be a way for independent uh, political actors and especially independent candidates uh, to run against each other in open primaries so that we can find the best independent candidates and make sure that they have the best chance possible to get into office. We will use blockchain voting apps for that. Also in the independent open debates that are happening um, on uh, October 8th in Denver are going to use blockchain voting for us to figure out who the best uh, candidate is uh, in terms of who won the debate. So we're trying to run as many experiments as possible in blockchain voting so that we can show case studies of this is how it works, this is why it works, and this is why it's going to solve many of the biggest problems in electioneering. Yeah, it's great. Now, you know, I, the place where I did my polling uh, in the 2016 election used the exact same computers. They looked pretty much the exact same as the ones from 2004. And so it's like, I think a lot of people are like, mm, I don't know this technology thing. I mean, people can literally sit out in the parking lot and hack it with, if they have, if they can connect to their Wi-Fi, like yeah. with an old school computer. It's like, I don't know how to do that. But I mean, there's plenty of videos that showed others who have done that kind of thing. And one of the things that brought Joel and I together to do bad crypto was the thought about blockchain and, and, and voter ID in the first place. I wrote an article on Huffington Post in 2016 about this topic. And it was like, look, we can bitch about Russia, we can bitch about whatever, but look, anybody can get access to that data, right? And what? So the Russians spent a hundred thousand dollars on Facebook ads because they got some they got some access right. to some data that anybody right. can get, and that impacted the election. But the five hundred million dollars that Bloomberg spent, they didn't even get a state. That how about the one? The, that right. the, how about right. the one point two billion that Hillary spent? One point three. 1.3 billion. Actually, we have now with us the Russian hackers. Yep, we've got them on the line. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Russian hacker. How were you trying to influence the election? I just, you know, I just use Facebook ads. I download a data set. I try to target people, and uh, we spent a hundred thousand dollars, and apparently we hacked the election. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Well, I mean. You know, as as a witness to the Mueller investigation, uh, I probably shouldn't be laughing about that. Uh, but uh, what what I what I realized during my process of becoming a whistleblower and being a part of the Mueller investigation and all the different congressional investigations was how little a lot of these investigators and legislators understand about our country's own data laws. 
that they thought that Russians needed to uh, needed to uh, coordinate with Cambridge Analytica or the Trump campaign in order to target American voters. Our laws allow anyone in the world to buy all of the personal data of Americans at any time and use that data for any purpose. You think China and Russia doesn't have that stuff already now? I mean, you know they have it. You think like if, a, if one of these governments that are like trying to get pull one over on America, you think they're not just going to, oh, I can get access to every single American's data? Hell yeah, Legally. they're going to do that. Totally legally legally you do not have to be don't have to buy the personal data of americans mm -hmm. like Crazy. that's that's the law so when when they're trying to accuse people of of uh you know coordination or like sending data to people like paul manafort and you know giving data to a russian spy like yeah maybe he did that but the no one in russia needed to coordinate with anyone in america besides the salesperson at a big data company. Right. Which, right. which brings us to, you know, the, the way the media works. I mean, we talk about social media controlling us. They don't, a lot of people don't realize that the mainstream media does the same thing. It's not just social media. It's, we are cats and they have the laser pointer. And right. so this is why it's really interesting. If you go back and look at the news, what was everybody talking about just two weeks ago? I bet yeah. you most people can't tell you what the big alleged scandal was because they're busy talking about today's scandal. And I'm old enough to remember, you know, two weeks before that, if you go back and look and say, wait, what happened to this? Why aren't we hearing about this anymore? I mean, all you got to do is go look at the Las Vegas terrorist attack. Go, why is nobody talking about this? Why do we not have any more information more than a year after it just disappeared? We are cats they have the laser pointers and the attention span of the public is so short what are we supposed to look at now okay yeah yeah I mean, it's not I, a question I, it's more just a rant <laughs> well i mean I, I i'd still like to respond to it and i think um yeah. you know some of the most salient issues from that were also discussed in, in the social dilemma a lot of my very close friends are, are in that film and they describe actually, you know, the, the psychological impact of the way that um, social media has been designed. I mean, I've had deep conversations about this with, uh, you know, Tristan Harris and Roger McNamee specifically, uh, because they, they talk about, you know, algorithmic amplification and the ways that, you know, humans are more likely to respond to something that makes them angry or incites them in some type of way. So therefore, algorithms will push to the top of your feed things that are in all capitals or things that use word like crisis or disaster uh, just because you're more likely to have an emotional reaction to it and therefore click on it and start to go down a rabbit hole of negative content that this person lacks emotional intelligence target them yeah. they will screech and re all over yeah. the place literally i mean at, at cambridge we had um we had uh models on uh you know attitudes and opinions, but also like emotionality and psychographic. So are you neurotic? Are you, are you provoked by your fears and insecurities? Yes. Okay. Well then they got all the fear-based messaging. God, that would be the best thing ever for trolls online. Like, like, Oh God, I, I want to troll these. How, you know what? There, I was thinking about this when you're talking about stuff earlier, like targeting people. There's this one app called crystal nose 
not AI, I think it is. And basically, before you communicate with somebody, you put in their LinkedIn profile or whatever, or their email address, and it comes back and tells you how you need to talk to them. It's like, oh, this person here is very soft. She's very soft-spoken, and she, you know, very fun and energetic. And like, and so you use words like this and you do that, and don't use these types of words because this is what are going to work. Oh yeah, it's it's wild. It's like a marketer's. It's like a, an outbound marketer's email tool. I mean that that is. Uh, it's not surprising that that exists because that's what I used to sell um, as a service at Cambridge Analytica, which is, you know, the main point of people using our psychographics was not to just find groups of people that, that they should be targeting, but to tell them how to talk to them. Everything from words, images, phrases, music, uh, you know, that will provoke that type of psychographic yeah, group. But you know, my love language is touch. So I think that would be against the law to you know, respond. Not for that. Joe Biden. He'll come. Well, That's all well, over, brother. Well, with hey, the man, come on, man. <laughs> with the advancements in AI and robotics, I'm pretty sure that if you need your computer to reach out and touch you, that soon it will be able to do that. Yeah, good. Just, just like I'll AT&T. Reach out, reach out and touch me. Ugh, don't touch me, computer. That's gross. All right. Let's, um, you know, as we get ready to wrap up here, let's talk a little bit about Brock and the campaign. He, you know, you did hear a lot of what he had to say, and certainly you know the platform in your sleep. Uh, but, you know, what's it actually like for you out there on the campaign trail with him and what are you encountering from, you know, the people that he's meeting and what they're saying? Well, what has been really incredible is that we have nearly an 100% conversion rate when we sit down in a meeting with someone and describe to them what we're doing and why, what this movement is all about. Uh, because I, I think we're, we're at a critical time right now where if we do not do something to actually fix politics and give, uh, give our voters, give people both inside and outside of America someone to believe in that actually has a plan to fix things, then, then we're going along a very dangerous path of people losing confidence in our democracy. You know, it, it's been degraded over many, many years now. And I think we need someone that is young, energetic, someone that understands technology because it is 2020, um, someone that is uh, conscious and actually comes from a place of, you know, love and understanding and wanting real equality in this country, someone that isn't beholden to other people, which, it, you know, many candidates have said that before and it hasn't been true whatsoever. Um, yeah, but, but he's really not. I mean, he's someone that really believes in everything that he's saying. It's not a pre-prescribed platform. He's talking about things that most uh, politicians never speak about at all, like investment in ethical technology innovation, like, uh, access to mental health uh, for people around the country, mental health services and alternative mental health treatments, like indigenous people's rights, where we're actually spending a lot of time going to reservations around the country and meeting with tribal leaders and youth leaders there to talk about what are the problems that still exist um, for our indigenous brothers and sisters in this country, uh, problems that have existed since the beginning of our country officially existing that have never actually been systemically solved. This is the type of political movement that we need, something that is uh, addressing massive, massive gaps in our society actually functioning properly that are just 
I mean, never talked about. So I myself am very inspired at, at everything we've done over the past few months. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to not only, uh, not only the next, you know, month or so of the election uh, for 2020, but what this movement's going to look like over the next few years. Brock and myself and many people that are a part of this campaign and the wider movement are very dedicated to strengthening independent politics and promoting independent candidates. I mean, we've promised to promote and support over 100 candidates in 2022 up and down the ticket um, that uh, dedicate themselves to not running as a Republican or a Democrat. I think that's huge. When we interviewed uh, Brock the other day with Tim, that right there was a the thing. It's like, you know what? Like here he is, he's setting the foundation for this thing for our actual real movement. Because I mean, if you think about it, I think you even touched base on it earlier. Like why would somebody want to run today in today's culture in America? Like no good person's going to want to run. Like look at how the media just, you say one little thing and then they try to cancel it. Like, oh, in third grade, I accidentally touched this girl's butt. Oh, my God, cancel him. He's a horrible person. He's the worst right. ever. Like, like <laughs> cancel culture, the stuff that goes on today is just so crazy. And, and so, like, we need great candidates. We need people to run for office that are good people. Like you mentioned, that are conscious. They have love in their heart. They care about the people. What happens now is that we have this for the corporations, by the corporations, um, you know, government right now, and the United States is a, a, a corporation of, of 50 federal states. It's set up as a Title 28 or whatever whatever it is. They're set up as a corporation. And so these corporations get the same rights, in some cases way more, because they're donating millions and millions of dollars. We got to fix Citizens United. That has to happen. Yeah. We got to take corporate money out of politics, and we got to make things for the people, by the people, once again. Give the states some more rights back, right? Because yeah. a lot of the federal government's taking over a whole lot of this stuff. And get great candidates in who actually care. I love that. I think that that could actually be a movement that most people could get behind and get rid of this two-party, uniparty charade where it's right. all really one party, all beholden to bankers and beholden to lobbyists is what it seems yeah. like to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what we've encountered. I mean, We've been having meetings with, with people on all sides of the political spectrum. Our movement or our campaign is also made up of people from all sides of the political spectrum. Literally, like you would never see these types of people all working together. A lot of these people you would never even see working in politics. But we have, you know, Republicans, Democrats, uh, Libertarians, Greens, anarchists, people who hate politics, all working on this together because they actually see an opportunity to make a positive impact in the world by supporting this. And, and what we really need are more people that are not beholden to parties because as we meet with Democrats and Republicans, there are people that are basically saying, hey, you know, like, I really love some of the things that you're saying in your platform, but yeah, if I divert from my party's platform, they'll drop me and defund me. So I can't say I believe in those things, even though I do. You know, when we spoke with Brock, we asked if he had taken the the political, what do they call that thing? That Political you know, compass. The political org, compass. I think it is. Yeah. Show where you are. He said he was going to, would love to, if you end up uh, hearing from him, finding out where he is on that. But if he was going to align most with a uh, political ideology, would it be libertarian? Would it be liberal? Would it be conservative where does he i mean he has beliefs and policies yeah absolutely i mean uh, it, it kind of depends um well there's economic know, and there's social right 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, on, on, on social policies, I would say things are, are, are more progressive from universal um, earned income to, you know, protection of the environment. I wish those weren't considered liberal progressive, but uh, especially considering that the Republican administration gave out a universal basic income in order to solve uh, the problems of the coronavirus unemployment this year. Uh, but uh, I would say people would call those types of policies progressive. Um, I would say that, you know, a, a lot of his policies on universal earned income could also be considered conservative, though, because he's saying uh, that certain ways to, to pay for universal earned income are to cut out all of the bureaucracy and administration of Social Security and unemployment and, you know, welfare and food stamps and all these things that, it, you know, cost trillions of dollars a year and instead give every, everybody a $1,200 um, a month check, regardless of whether you are employed or not, um, or have a special situation or not. If you're currently on welfare and you're earning more than 1200 okay, well then you can still be eligible for that if you have lots of kids or some sort of handicap or whatever it happens to be so that you are taken care of. Uh, but to get rid of the bureaucracy, I mean, he even talks about you know, scrapping a lot of the tax code that making our government less bureaucratic and actually having an overhaul of systems reform. I don't know what you call that. I, I wouldn't call it liberal or good start. I, I would, I would call it revolutionary and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a, a require a revolution in order to say that our system, which is hundreds of years old and is obviously breaking down into pieces and no longer serving us that that needs to be completely overhauled. That should be something that's welcome. So I have a question. Is it is it breaking down or is it just that people are twisting the intent of how it was supposed to work? I mean, a bit of both, but I think at this point, the way that the system has been designed it is no longer able to be implemented, mostly because of the partisanship um, and, and the stark polarity of our political spectrum at this point in time. You know, uh, one time I had a meeting with um, Megan Smith, who was the chief technology officer of the United States. And she showed me this, this data chart of you know, blue dots and red dots and how everybody used to vote together in Congress. And it was more about the individual and how they felt about the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an elected official, you're supposed to be trusted with making your own choice, right? On behalf of the people that you serve. So people used to vote together. You know, whether you were Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever you were, um, everyone voted around the same. Now, as the years go on, especially with the rise of uh, the use of technology and social media, all of a sudden you see all the blue dots on one side and all the red dots on the other and nearly nothing in between or any overlap in the way that people vote because of the um, overarching control of both the Democrats and Republicans on their people, as well as the increasing kind of partisanship that is being fueled by algorithmic amplification and the use of big social. Yeah, that's crazy. We're in a, we're in a very interesting time. And I, I was just thinking about this. It's like, I don't know if, uh, you know, as a campaign manager for Brock, if you're being paid in crypto or not, but if so, you might be the first campaign manager ever to be paid in crypto. Oh, that, that is, that is 
true. I'm going to have to talk to Brock about that. Yeah, you uh, could break that that uh, glass Bitcoin ceiling right there. Okay, I like. I'm going to take your suggestion on board. I have, um, unfortunately, I have to admit, I've been being paid in fiat, but I'm going to request, I'm going to request Bitcoin for my my next paycheck so that I can get that on the books. You can blame you Travis. Do a press uh, you can manager and accept crypto. Uh, of course, I accept folks. crypto. Obviously, um, you know that. That's why Brock just made a sizable donation to the University of Wyoming and the Hackathon, the Blockchain Center for Excellence in Bitcoin. Because Caitlin Long started this whole movement out here, which actually I remember breaking the news with you guys in Blockhouse at South by Southwest 2018 um, uh, about what was going on with uh, blockchain legislation in Wyoming. But she started that because she tried to donate in Bitcoin to the university and the Money Transmitters Act didn't allow her to do that. So And, the, and we just, with the story broke a couple of weeks ago that um, Wyoming cracked the glass ceiling, right? Because Kraken now will be the first crypto bank in Wyoming. Correct, correct, correct. And we've- They cracked right through the glass ceiling. Yeah, we've spent many years working on that legislation, getting it right, getting it acceptable, passed and then implemented. So uh, it, it, extremely honored to be, you know, a, a part of all of this over here and very glad to be reporting from Wyoming today, um, our crypto state. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, the uh, website, of course, for Brock Pierce is brock.vote. Uh, one last question for you, Brittany. Mm -hmm. When you are a whistleblower, is there a whistleblower association that like awards you with a golden whistle or something? <laughs> well, um, actually, Congress, um, Congress gave us all um, uh, awards last July or the first ever National Whistleblowing Day where they had us in Congress. Um, they brought about 150 uh, you know, important whistleblowers from around the country together uh, to, um, you know, to honor us. And then um, whistleblower.org, which is the Government Accountability Project. They actually formed originally to help Daniel Ellsberg with the Pentagon Papers and the fallout after that of Watergate. Um, they are also a whistleblowing um, supportive organization, which is uh, pretty cool. So if anyone's interested in that, do look them up on on whistleblower.org. Um, another thing I, I'd love to say but before we close is that I'd love uh, to invite everyone that listens to this to come to the first ever INC, the Independent National Convention. We're hosting it in Cheyenne uh, at the end of next month, the 23rd and 24th. It's a Friday and Saturday. So uh, if you go to INC2020, INC2020, you will like be Inc, able- Like Inc2020? Like Inc2020. It's dot org. Um, I think it's dot com actually. Let me double well, check. The dot com is not. Uh, neither one are up right now. So well, maybe see, by the time this interview got. goes live, you'll have it. No, no, I'm going to get it for you right. Because right now, the when I go to ink twenty twenty dot com, the 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 top of the browser says oh, I dot, love dot us. Sorry, dot us. <laughs> it says I love I corn. I love corn. Inc twenty twenty dot us. <laughs> It's International Corn 2020. There you go. <laughs> Inc2020.us, independence governing independently. And Cheyenne, I might have to uh, road trip up from Denver. To, we would uh, love for you guys to come. Um, also, the open debates being hosted by Free and Equal Elections are in Denver on, on October 8th. So maybe you guys want to come to that. Brock's going to be debating 
um, Howie Hawkins, the presidential candidate of the Green Party, Rocky de la Fuenta um, from the uh, uh, Alliance Party, um, Gloria La Riva. Uh, there's a few other people involved in that. So that should be pretty cool. Well, you didn't answer my question, though. So, I mean, the, the whistleblower thing is all set up. They invited you there to, you know, to meet and they didn't give you a whistle. Like there's no whistle. Uh, I'm really sad they didn't give me a whistle. Um, I did get uh, even like a little toy plastic one, you know, just. So um, the one whistle that was gifted to me, um, my friend Lauren Bissell gave me a 3D printed whistle. Um, that was a Bissell whistle. <laughs> she gave me a whistle and that was the whistle that I actually burned in the temple in the opening scene of The Great Hack. I had a whistleblower necklace full of whistles. That was the main whistle that was on it. Um, and uh, yeah, so if anyone has seen that film or has not yet seen that film and wants to watch it, look out for that orange 3D printed whistle that I tie on the temple at Birdie. That's nice. <laughs> and I, what we did notice, we noticed you had a bad crypto sticker on your phone in that, in that movie. You still yeah, have I, that crypto I sticker? I still have that sticker. On look at that right there, folks. Obviously. Yeah. Two of them. Beautiful. Once you go bad, you never go back. Exactly. That's what oh happens. My. Brittany Kaiser. Brittany, love catching up with you. Maybe we'll see you in Wyoming. Absolutely, guys. Looking forward to seeing you soon. So have you been searching for a debit card that allows you to spend your crypto more seamlessly? Well, that's what the CoinZoom Visa card is. It's, it's a true debit card. It allows you to instantly convert your crypto to the fiat accepted by the merchant. And all you need to do is choose which crypto you want to spend. So use the CoinZoom card to spend your crypto. 53 million places around the world will accept this because basically you convert your crypto to fiat and spend it like through a debit card. Pretty handy. You can use it for hotels, rental cars, ATMs. Uh, I do it all the time with my uh, debit card that I have with my crypto. And so, plus you get 5% in your crypto back on every purchase. So that is freaking awesome. So go to badco.in forward slash coin zoom to register. And they're actually gonna give you $10 in free crypto because they love you and they love us. And so they love us and we, they, we love you. And so we wanted to hook you up with some cryptos. So we don't like the free cryptos. Everybody loves the free cryptos. Badco.in forward slash coin zoom. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Mr. Travis Wright, we have a few news stories that we want to cover, so let's get to it. Mr. John McAfee is in big dookie. Mr. Travis Wright, the, um, the U.S. Justice Department has finally caught up with him, and he was arrested while in España, yep, in Europe. I don't know why, you know... <laughs> Boy, talk about brazen. You I mean you know that they're after you, mm -hmm. and you go to uh, a country that is a uh, you know a tight ally to the United States, and they arrested him in Spain for tax evasion, and he is currently awaiting extradition to the U.S. Yeah, and actually, uh, Janice, his wife. Uh, was in communication with him, and uh, she sent out this tweet that says, Hey, hello, everybody. I would like to state that both mine and John accounts are staffed by interns, and they were not privy to what had happened with John yesterday. Unfortunately, what has been reported is true. John has been detained in Spain. I cannot comment on any details of the situation, but I can tell you that I've been in contact with him through our team of lawyers, and they have been working tirelessly on his behalf. He is in good spirits and wanted me to thank you 
for all your support during this entire ordeal. Since we left the United States, it has meant the world to both of us knowing that we are still believers in freedom, that there are still believers in freedom all over the world. So, yeah. So the, uh, the complaint that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has against him is saying that from at least November 2017 through February 2018, McAfee leveraged his fame to make more than $23.1 million in undisclosed compensation by recommending at least seven initial coin offerings to his Twitter followers and of course you know they're saying that this is illegal you know here on this show whenever we have a sponsor we disclose it to you guys because this is how it needs to operate we tell you we're getting paid um john violated the rules and uh, you know it, it finally it's catching up with him i'm i'm sure he's got some great attorneys mm-hmm. helping him but i don't know how he gets out of this one well and here's another thing too he's got a team of great lawyers and so there's going to be some stuff there maybe that he's able to harvest some losses because i'm sure he got you know if he got paid from night from november 2017 through february 2018 that's four months at the top of crypto time right, right. like bitcoin is at twenty thousand dollars ethereum's at fifteen hundred dollars right and they're just talking about from november 17 to february 2018 when the prices were at their highest saying oh he's made more than 23 million dollars when they were at that highest i guarantee you he didn't sell it all right so those things would have taken a massive loss so those numbers shouldn't be anywhere near 23 million really so hopefully he's got a good tax attorney you can help figure that stuff out it's also very possible that he didn't take any tokens that mm-hmm. it could have gone to you know a business or to his he's wife i don't know yeah because he's he he mentioned that on some of those episodes that mm-hmm. he doesn't put anything in his name it all goes through trusts and other stuff so you know maybe we'll see how it all pans out uh, ho- hopefully it all works out for him i just you know what are the odds that we're going to get him on our centennial episode which in this case will be episode number 500 you know because we had him on four times well maybe we end up getting janice on instead yeah maybe we get janice on or maybe we get mcafee from uh from prison right maybe we'll go see him in prison and then we'll do like that hand like we can go see the through the plexiglass yeah and then when we're done we can put our hand there together you know through the glass <laughs> Oh my gosh. So here's some other big news, Travis. This uh, on Cointelegraph.com, written by the crypto chick Rachel Wolfson. And the article is all about how Google Cloud is getting into EOS blockchain. It's interesting. We've had a lot of conversations around, you know, how Google doesn't like YouTube, doesn't like excuse, doesn't like YouTube, doesn't like crypto. They banned a lot of they banned a lot of ads. Now they're letting more ads through. Uh, YouTube has been done some really crazy stuff with YouTube ads around crypto. Um, there's some crazy stuff going on here. But Google Cloud is betting on on EOS. Now you know you think about this. You know oh, there's a ton. I don't know how many nodes. Uh, we've had conversations around this, but how many nodes uh, of Ethereum are on AWS? Well, I bet. Google was looking at that going, wow, look at all these blockchains that have so many nodes on AWS. Maybe Google Cloud should do that too. And so so a lot of these major cloud providers are showing increased interest in joining these blockchain networks because they see there's a lot of activity and all those transactions that are happening. Mm-hmm. The bottom line here is that Google Cloud is it now a block producer on the EOS blockchain. And so, you know, it, it's, I'm kind of torn 
I like hearing about, you know, big uh, mm -hmm. Fortune 500s getting into blockchain. I'm not so sure that I'm thrilled about them becoming block producers. Well, they're block producers, but they're not one of the top 21 active EOS block producers. They got to be elected to become one of those. So that election has not happened. But they do have a quote from Alan Day, who's the developer advocate over there at Google Cloud. We're seeing active enterprise uh, participation in these sorts of networks. And we believe Google Cloud can reduce the friction for companies to run their own Google Cloud hosted nodes on the network. We're also providing cloud infrastructure to Block One as well, helping them host their own development efforts. So that's what's happening is they are doing, they're, they're hosting nodes on the network and they're working with Block One in some way. So not a big thing where they're saying, hey, we're all in on EOS. They're just saying they're going to be helping out Block One. You know, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here, Travis, because on Cointelegraph, there's a, a story that just came out uh, a few hours ago, and the headline on it is One Coin Movie starring Kate Winslet coming soon. And, you know, there was a whole lot of drama around the One Coin Ponzi scheme. All right. Uh, that, yeah, that happened. This is an old coin, right? This was founded in Bulgaria. In 2014, it was a multi-level marketing type of thing, but it had a crypto twist to it. Ah. Um, got you know tied up in courts. People invested, lost a lot of money, and now this is you know an interesting way to bring crypto to the masses. It is. Uh, so know, basically, it, she's going to be playing Ruja Ignatova, who was the one who founded OneCoin, and she's got some she's got some alias or something. I don't remember what her alias is. But um, they've been looking for her. She's like, well, like the crypto queen or something. There's some name she had. I don't remember what it was. But uh, yeah, they've been they've been looking. At it. So there's fraud allegations for up to seven. What what five to seven billion dollars in allegations of, of fraud. So a lot of investors have sued them. And uh, wow. Oh wait. So so this is not the first artwork inspired by one coin. There's a TV show in Britain. Um, about uh, Ignatova is also in development. So yeah, there's going to be, I guess, a podcast, a TV show, and a movie around around this whole thing. Will it be a comic book too? Because we need a, maybe they need to have some NFTs. Maybe they do. Another story here from Cointelegraph. Benjamin Pierce writes: U.S. Attorney General releases guidelines for enforcing crypto laws. It is by you know William Barr. And the Cyber Digital Task Force put together the guidelines, called them cryptocurrency and enforcement framework, and they issued a statement around it. The framework provides a comprehensive overview of the emerging threats and enforcement challenges associated with the increasing prevalence and use of cryptocurrency, details the important relationships that the DOJ has built with regulatory and enforcement partners, both within the U.S. government and around the world, and outlines the department's response strategies. I haven't had a chance to go into detail about what's inside this thing, but uh, more regulation. Yay. Well, there's a lengthy report, Joel. There's an 83-page uh, PDF on, on this around crypto. It's legitimate uses. It's illicit uses and uh, applicable regulating bodies and then also a game plan moving forward. He, he said this, cryptocurrency is a technology that could fundamentally transform how human beings interact and how we organize society, Barr said in a statement, uh, ensuring that the use of this technology is safe, 
does not imperil our public safety or our national security, is vitally important to America and its allies. It seems to me they should have been paying attention to this about 10 years ago or, you know, eight years ago. And it, it seems to me also Barr should have some other more important things like arresting people in the swamp, potentially. Like, that would be good. So get away from crypto. Do right. your work over there, right. Bill Barr. Uh, last piece of news, Mr. Travis Wright. This broke today. Divi is doing some really interesting stuff. You know, we've they've been a sponsor of the show. Um, we have been advisors for Divi. Their crypto is super easy to use. And now Jeff McCabe, the CEO who's been on the show before, announced that they are launching comic books and video games on blockchain. Mm. Yes, yeah, so they're going to have a viewer app and a creator app. And the creator app is going to allow people to create digital blockchain-based comic books easily. So it doesn't have to be done with other software. So, wow, maybe there could be a cool blockchain heroes comic book in the down the road or something. Ooh, that would be fun. Well, you know, he mentioned in a video today where he announced it that these comic books would involve creators from both Marvel and DC Comics as well as their Siege World blockchain-based video game. So apparently they've got some people involved who have worked with Marvel and DC, but he's not revealing the names. So we'll we'll see what happens with that, but I think it's pretty awesome and definitely, you know, somehow comic books are on blockchain would be NFTs, right? You would own the comic book as a non-fungible token and be able to read it and sell it to somebody else to own. Yeah. Also, just, you know, I want to mention this because I find it completely fascinating and we did cover it on the Nifty Show, but we didn't talk about it here. But we've been saying, folks, NFTs are taking off. They're going crazy. They're going to be huge. It's going to be, you know multiple hundred billion dollar industry if not way more well joel this week you know we saw this christie's auctions right that's one of those big auction houses like sudabies and some of those other ones well they auctioned off their first ever nft linked artwork and and it sold for a hundred and thirty one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars dude that's crazy that is uh yeah i'm gonna put that in the show notes so you guys can get a look at that too this is um, now the the piece of art itself. I don't find particularly compelling. Um, maybe we didn't get a look at the whole piece. Uh, the the picture here on um, Coin Telegraph shows something a little different mm -hmm. than the one that we looked at when we were talking about it on the Nifty yeah, Show. It's decrypt, yeah, that, yeah. It's a long yeah. cylinder, mm -hmm. um, and. I'll put it, both of those in there. I'm going to go ahead and add this one too. All right. So yeah, the future is NFTs gang. And, uh, you know, we're seeing it. If you're not tuned into the nifty show each week, we do the show at 5 PM Eastern 2 PM Pacific. Um, and more and more people are coming. They're watching live on YouTube or on Theta. All you got to do is go to nifty.show forward slash YouTube. And, or if you want to support decentralized live streaming video, nifty.show forward slash theta to uh, to learn more about this. Yeah, well, it's also it's also available on the wonderful Apple and all the places, the Spotify, everywhere. So if it's a podcast too, you like listening to podcasts because you're listening to this podcast, 
So uh, maybe that's what it's just it's very visual. In fact, I probably haven't uploaded it to the podcast for a few weeks because it's like it's so visual. I feel like you need to see this stuff. True. And, and I'm in I'm busy I'm doing things. Hey, Miss Travis Wright, since we are doing news here um, in reverse, I just want to pull up CoinGecko really quick and note that the crypto market cap time stamped for 1245 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's right. We're working late for you guys because Mr. Travis Wright just pulled into his hotel on the um, the 11th, which is officially Sunday now. Crypto market cap 363 billion and Bitcoin is back over 11,000. It's now at 11,338 and Ethereum is 371. The markets are looking pretty green right now, Travis. And the articles that I'm reading on the various um, uh, news sites are saying 12,000 is the next um, landmark here that that there's some really bullish signals happening. I, mean, I think there could be a big run between now and the election because there's so much uncertainty potentially. Um, that's just a thought. I mean, I don't know. We're not financial advisors, but I mean, there, there, there could be some crazy, there's going to guarantee be craziness after November 3rd, not just election day. Neither side is going to, you know, concede and it's going to get drawn out like it did in 2000. And then probably the Supreme Court will end up coming in in some way, which is why it's, which is why I think the Republicans think it's important to get that, uh, you know, seat filled, because if not, then you got four versus four. And then what happens if there's a contention upon that? And then it's four, four in the Supreme court. And that's, that could be it crazy. Goes to the house and Nancy Pelosi becomes president. Who knows? I don't know, but it's going to be crazy folks. And so the fact that the, the, the Bitcoin is moving up, that is a very good sign and we'll see how it keeps going. Yeah. And uh, recently on the show, we had a gentleman from Sogur on and Travis and I found this very interesting. It was a sponsored interview, but I got to tell you what these guys are doing is really unique. It's a digital coin built to provide a self-sustaining democratic and global currency. It's modeled to incorporate the volatility that crypto markets seek while also using stabilization mechanisms to temper that volatility risk when market conditions are fast changing and unpredictable sogur it's it's s o with an umlaut over it g u r s g r is the actual symbol it's a unique hybrid crypto asset that blends stability qualities of an asset-backed stablecoin with the potential for volatility found in traditionally scarce crypto assets. You guys can check it out on the official Sogur website, S-O-G-U-R.com. Learn about the evolution of money and see what they're doing with stablecoins that is really different from what we're seeing uh, other stablecoins do. Yeah, I would basically say, you know, because it's kind of confusing when we're talking some of the language in here, but I would basically say it's volatility resistant stablecoin. So like what happens if the price of the dollar goes crazy and plummets and then you got these, these, you know, stable coins like USDT, Tether, and some of these other ones that are pegged to the dollar and now the dollar crashes and now it's still pegged to the dollar. Now what, right? Is it still worth a dollar? Is it worth a lot more? Right? So you need to have something that, that, uh, that is volatility resistant, as yeah. a stable coin and that's what this is and it actually over time they have it mapped out of how the value should probably increase so it's based on a lot of different things it, i've not seen anything like this one you, you did mention it that it is sponsored but this is a really cool project yeah it, it the the value of the token increases with adoption 
but it remains stable on this line as it grows. And you could see where the coin should be based on how many are in circulation. So anyway, Travis, uh, you're on the road still and you and your son are actually going to be coming through Denver uh, yeah. what, either Monday or Tuesday. What's what's the plan right now? Well, it's looking like, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I think maybe we could we could hang out on Wednesday and do the the hero report. So what is that going to be? That's like on the that's the 14th or the 15th. One of those days. I believe Wednesday is the 14th. Yeah, so. that's probable. That's probable what's going to happen. So tomorrow we're going to do Grand Canyon. Then we're going to cruise up. We want to go through the Four Corners. We want to go to Utah, see the arches. Then we're going to spend the night in Vail or uh, Aspen. I think it's I think Vail, and then cruise over to Denver. So probably cruise over to Denver on that Wednesday. Yeah, you don't want to go to Aspen if you're coming straight through because it's off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Vail, man. Whichever one was on the map. Right on. Actually, I would recommend that you skip Vail and go to Breckenridge. It's a okay. much cooler town. Never been to Breckenridge. Breckenridge, you know, Germantown. Uh, it's it's beautiful there. Vail also is, but Vail's kind of snooty, and okay. um, I, I like Breckenridge better. I'm not so. really snooty, so I'll you know I'm uh, I'm more tooty. You, you are more tootie. I was going to say that, but thank you for offering that up. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. So we are going to be together, and not only will we do a hero report, but maybe we'll do a special live bad crypto. All I know is it's going to be a meeting of the minds. The four founders of Blockchain Heroes are going to be together for the first time. Um, and awesome. so I'm looking forward to that. And then also we know that those uh, the Titan packs and the hero packs, uh, Dex, are about done printing so we might yes. be doing those soon we're going to be shipping those soon as well lots happening and, and yes we will have more news from the blockchain heroes world we're not done gang we're just getting started lots of exciting news coming your way we'll catch you next time we catch you or you oh. catch us oh 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 what stay back The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Oh, that. What he said.